Happiness is an emotion that can disappear as quickly as it rises to the surface. Joy, however, is a choice. This morning we light the candle of joy. For some, this may be a difficult candle to celebrate. But we do have a choice. God gives us a joy that is unconquerable. We can choose to live in an attitude of resentment, anger, and fear, or we can choose to pursue the joy of Christ. So what is the picture of joy in the Bible? Well, joy is trusting when you want to doubt. We need to have Mary's response to the coming of Jesus. I am the Lord's servant. May it be done according to your word. Joy is also receiving what you want to reject. Can you imagine how the innkeeper would have felt if he had said to Mary and Joseph, Of course you can't stay in the stable. That's for paying customers. Who do you take me for? We find joy in making room for people in need. Joy is celebrating when you want to fear. What's the first thing angels say to mortals? It's standard protocol. It's just about every divine in, in every in, in just about every divine encounter, the angels say, "Fear not." I can just hear Jesus instruct his most trusted angels. Okay, let's go over this again. Most people I'll send you to speak to are going to be scared out of their wits. So let's practice the greeting one more time, all in unison. And the angels would say, fear not. (laughs) One of the names Jesus was called long before he ever stepped on this world stage was Emmanuel, meaning God with us. No matter what you go through, as children of God, we can whisper this simple truth. Jesus is with me. Think about it. He's with you in your greatest victories and your most humiliating defeats. Jesus is with you at all times and in all things. So, even if God never blessed us again or never answered another prayer, we could still praise him with joy in our hearts just because he loved us He came, he died, he rose, he is with us, and he is coming again. Hey, thanks for being here today. So glad you are. Uh, Today we celebrate the, the fourth candle in Advent, that being the candle of joy. And we're going to talk about that in line with... If you have your study guide out, you'll find that in your bulletin. You'll see the title on top. Uh, The title I've given this is the I Can't Describe It, It's So Good Joy. And I think you may already have an indication of where that's heading, but if not, hang on. It will become clear by the time we hit the second point or the second question in our discussion. We'll open that up and see it a little more clearly. If you've got your study guide, feel free to grab a, grab a clipboard and a pen from the book rack in front of you, and that may help you in our time together. I want to tell you a little bit about King Solomon. I think it's important to where we're heading. King Solomon was a guy who had it all. I mean, no doubt the richest man to live at that time. 
He was the wisest man to live. He, uh, he had everything his heart desired. He was very much equipped with everything he could possibly want or need. This guy had it all. And with his wisdom, he determined one day that he was going to enter into an exercise or an experiment to find the way joy was located. How could he find pleasure in life? It's what Jesus would later call the abundant life. How could he find the abundant life? And we're told in the book of Ecclesiastes that he went through many different channels trying to find this joy and contentment in life, this satisfaction, fulfillment. That he went down the road, just to name a few of, of his riches, and he, he did everything he wanted to do, obtained everything he wanted to obtain. <clears throat> and he found that that ended and he moved to the next channel. The next channel, uh, say, was the channel of his wisdom. And he searched out knowledge and he looked for everything he could possibly find to make him wiser and smarter and more intelligent than anyone else. And then he went to the channel of possessions and grabbing everything he could get. And then he went to the channel of, uh, of, of power and prestige. And then he went to the channel of wives and conquest. This guy had a thousand collective wives and concubines. Man, he went down every road you could possibly imagine. And what he determined in the end was that joy, while there was some involved in what he was doing, was not lasting in those things. It wasn't permanent. It was temporary. And it's almost as if it sent him into a state of depression because he had it all. He had every means available to him to locate and find joy for his own life. And yet when it came right down to it, his end conclusion was, you know what? It's God who determines who has joy. There's nothing I can do. And I thought about that and I wondered, you know what? True? Is it real? Is it true that only God determines who has joy? Is it possible that all of my efforts and my own abilities to obtain joy, to obtain the abundant life that Jesus desires for us to have has been wasted time? Is it possible that that's actually the way it is? So what I want us to do, maybe you're feeling the same way, maybe you're wondering the same thing, is that possible? I want us to go on a very short study here to try to determine the reality of that statement. That it is God who determines who has joy and the extent of our joy. I want us to go on a search to figure out, is that really the case? And so you may wonder, well, where would you start on such a journey? And I think the most logical place to start is with your first fill-in on your study guide. Number one, the question is, well, what is joy? Okay, what is joy? Now, why is it so important that we start right there? I think it's important because there are so many definitions of joy. Now, you think about it. 
So many people have had television pour into them the different thoughts and the different aspects of what joy is. What does it take to make one happy? You watch several different television shows and you'll find that there's other things that should be able to make you happy. Like illicit sex or drugs or alcohol, power, prestige. These things the world is selling us saying, hey, here's the way to find joy and happiness. And yet the problem is... Without fail, those things always end us to the same conclusion that Solomon had. It's temporary. It runs away. It's fleeting. How depressing that is. I go to every extent possible, which is within my power and my ability to find real joy. And yet what I find is that what the world determines is joy is not joy at all. It doesn't last. It ends in depression. So then how do I find this? I think, first of all, we have to come to a logical understanding of what joy really is. I was reading a post on Facebook by Anna Ferguson. And, and honestly, I should have talked to her to find out, number one, if she mind if I shared it. She says she doesn't. But number two, if it was original, if she, if she was quoting someone, I didn't get far enough into it to figure that out. I'm sorry about that. But, but the post said something like this. It said... Joy is a byproduct of gratitude, and gratitude is a byproduct of, 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 uh, help me, Anna. You you ought to have this memorized. (laughs) One of us ought to. Perspective. Joy is a product of gratitude, and gratitude is a product of perspective. And I got to thinking about that. It is really true. What we determine is joy. The perspective we have on what joy is will determine whether or not we are happy with what we obtain. Let me give you a very crude illustration. Let's imagine that someone came to you and gave you a million dollars. And your perspective on this was, you got to be kidding me. You're giving me all, I've got to pay all that taxes. I've got to figure out how to get this to the bank without being robbed and shot and killed or left for dead, whatever the case may be. And then everybody's going to be wanting some of it. I'm going to have to give here and I'm going to have to give there. I've got to give my tithes. You just think about all the trouble. And then this person who gave it to me. I mean, what are they expecting You don't just give somebody a million dollars if you're not wanting something in return. Is this kind of like the Godfather deal to where later on they're going to call me in and ask me to do something for them and I'm going to have to kill somebody? You know, what is going on here? What's the deal? Or you could have the other perspective and say, oh my goodness, I can't believe you're giving me this. A million dollars. This is incredible. I'll pay my taxes and I'll have a little bit less than half of it left, but I've still got half of it left, you know? And so I can, I can pay some of my bills and, and I can help other people and I can give a large portion to my favorite pastor because he's an incredible guy. And, <laughs> hey, it's my story. You let me tell it how I want to, okay? Yeah. So perspective matters, right? How I view this gift is going to determine what I think of. It's going to determine on whether or not my joy is permanent, my joy is lasting, or it runs away from me. 
The same is true if I have a concept of what joy is to be and it, it's related to what the world tells me. What I'm going to find is that this perspective leads me to frustration. It leads me to depression because it's not going to last. I can tell you from personal experience. I've tried all those things, trying to find joy and contentment and satisfaction. Man, my life was in ruins in my late teens and my early 20s. I tried all that stuff trying to find it, and what I found was that it left me empty. And it brought me to the place of depression to the point that I said, it's it. I'm tired of this. And I wanted to commit suicide. Now, you can follow those paths if you desire. If that's your perspective, then that's all you know. Then that's where you're going to follow. Or you can look for a better idea, a better perspective on what joy really is and then pursue after that perspective. And what is it? Well, you see a description or a definition on your study guide. It says, joy is happiness over an unanticipated or present good bestowed upon us. In a spiritual level, it, it refers to the extreme happiness with which the believer contemplates salvation and the bliss of the afterlife. It's this, it's this overwhelming sense of comfort, this overwhelming sense of contentment that I have that floods my soul when I understand that eternity is settled for me. Now you think about this with me. Because I remember those nights staying awake, afraid to go to sleep, because I knew if I died in my sleep, I would end up in hell. Now honestly, as I look back on that, I wonder, well, what, what did it matter if I was awake or not? That wasn't going to prevent whether or not I died, whether or not I went to hell. But somehow, in my mind, I was trying to rationalize this to where I thought, if I can just stay awake, the fear isn't quite as great. I remember those nights. But let me tell you what else I remember. I remember that day when I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I remember the peace and the joy that flooded my soul because it was finished it was it was done it was established no longer did I have those fears no longer did I have that anxiety no longer was I afraid to go to sleep at night I had experienced the joy of my salvation in a way that I cannot even begin to describe to you what an amazing thing it was. Now the problem with this in so many of our lives is that we've experienced that joy and we have this perspective of, hey, here it is. Here's what brings me joy. Here's what brings me contentment. Here's what brings me satisfaction and happiness in life. And yet, then all of a sudden, the world begins to tell us something different. And instead of clinging to the perspective that we know to be true, we tend to make our way into something else, trying to find joy and happiness in these other things that I've mentioned. What a shame. The perspective was real. We know it. We've had firsthand experience. We've felt it for ourselves. And yet we allow some other influence to convert us and to change our perspective to where we're looking for something different to find joy that we already had in the first place. And we leave the presence of God. This is why King David, after his grievous sin, said, God, 
Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Restore to me that which I've had in the past. I knew it. I had it. I grasped it. I felt it. I understood it. And then I strayed away thinking I could find something better. But there was nothing better. Nothing. When did joy come? Man, it entered the world on that first Christmas. That was the message of the angels, right? Let me read to you a few verses. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The angel had this incredible message. I mean, a little baby is born in a manger. And the angel appears to the shepherds and, and he says something incredible to them. He says, hey guys, I've got some really good news for you. Now, remember that the angel did not say, hey guys, I'm bringing you great joy. Because the angels did not have the ability to give joy. They did not possess it. I mean, they, they may possess it, but they could not give it away. It wasn't theirs to give. That was coming through a different channel. But what he said was, I've got really good news about great joy because there's this little baby been born in a manger who is the Savior of the world. Wow. Savior of the world. That's where joy is found, right? <laughs> Maybe you're a little bit skeptical. Maybe you're saying, a baby in a manger? What in the world would that have to do with bringing joy to mankind? I mean, how could a baby do that? In fact, let's just move to the second question because here's where we're going to try to answer that. Question number two says, how could Jesus provide it? How could Jesus possibly provide this joy that would be to all people? Not just a select group of people, but would be to all people. The great news that Jesus Christ had been born. I think that's a fair question. Well, if you know the mindset of the children of Israel, you know that they were looking for the Savior to come. They were looking for the Messiah. I mean, they had been anxiously anticipating the coming Messiah. And why? Because they had broken God's law. They had sinned against God. They had broken His commandments. The commandments, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not bear false witness, you cannot, can, shall not commit adultery, you shall love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. Okay, so these commandments, the children of Israel understood that they had broken and they were in need of the Messiah to come and rescue them from their own sinfulness. You see, the problem with sin is that it requires a payment. My sin requires from me a payment of death. 
and a payment of eternal damnation. Eternity separated from Almighty God, facing the wrath of God's judgment in the lake of fire. That's what my sin demands of me, and unfortunately, that's what your sin demands of you as well. But God, in His incredible love and mercy for us, extended to us that which we do not deserve, which we cannot earn, which we cannot afford. He extended to us a plan by which one would come to take our place. One would come to die in our place so that we would not personally face it, but could receive the gift of salvation through the sacrifice of this one who had come, and that one was the very one who was born in the manger. Jesus Christ. So why was this great news of great joy to all people? Because the one that was born in the manger was the one that God had sent. His only son. He sent his son to die in our place. So 33 and a half years after the birth of Jesus Christ, the Bible says that he was rejected of men. He was spat upon. He was beaten. He was put through a mock trial. And then he was nailed to a cross where he shed his blood to pay the price of our sin. That's the great news that was joy to all people. Jesus Christ had been born. How could a baby provide such? It was through his sacrifice. You see, Jesus was the only one qualified to pay our price. He was the only one qualified to pay the price of our sin. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, our text verses for today say, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Inexpressible joy. So now, obviously, when I come to Jesus Christ, there is, there is a, an incredible benefit to me in the matter of salvation. But I want to show you an additional benefit that's very important to this whole scenario, this whole story that we're developing here. And that is, when I come to Christ and, and ask Him to be Lord and Savior in my life, ask God to forgive my sin, something amazing happens in that God instills within me part of Himself. Now, don't ask me to explain how that works. I, for the life of me, I've sat and I've thought about this. I, I like to try to think through things and figure things out. And I've tried to figure out how part of God lives within the child of God. And, and I can't do it. I, I just have to say, you know what, you're God. You've got this figured out. And I'm glad because, honestly, I don't, I don't see how that's possible. So God puts within me what he calls his Holy Spirit, part of himself inside of me. And the blessing of the Holy Spirit living inside of the child of God is that the Holy Spirit guides and directs us into all righteousness. The Holy Spirit then begins to do things in my life and through my life that I cannot do myself. If you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about love and how the Holy Spirit 
produces love in our lives. Even though we want to, we don't have the ability. It's something that is God-focused, is God-ordained, and God-created. And therefore, it is God who delivers this through our lives. The same is true with joy. Part of the fruit of the Spirit is joy that God produces in my life. This is the work of Almighty God. This is something that only God can do in my life. God in me, working through me to produce what I cannot produce myself. And that is joy. So then is Solomon right when he says God determines who has joy? The truth is, Ecclesiastes 2.26 is where you'll find that if you want to look it up. The truth is, yes, that's exactly right. Solomon's conclusion was ultimately completely correct. It is the work of God. So therefore, as I submit myself to God, as I give to Him my all, I allow Him to work through me, I see myself in relationship to a holy God, which is a very humbling experience, and I submit myself to Him, for Him to work through me, to do as He pleases in me, then God begins to work to produce through me those things I can't, and part of that is joy in my life. Joy. This thing that I desire, that I have searched for, is produced by the work of God in my life. All of a sudden, there's a joy when the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and reveals to me how I am protected for eternity. Reveals to me how no longer I am under the wrath of Almighty God. Reveals to me how I will inherit eternal life when I leave this life. Reveals to me how I'll be in the presence of Christ for all of eternity where there'll be no more tears, no more suffering, no more sorrows. I will be in this place we call heaven. What a blessing. There is a joy that is overwhelming. That's inexpressible, the verse says. Inexpressible. Inexpressible joy. It's the I can't describe it. It's so good joy. So you may be thinking, okay, I see. I see how he could do it, but why was that really so important? Question number three. Why was that really so important? Don't put your notes up because I want to give you three answers to this. Now, we've worked all around this question already, but I want to give you three very direct answers to this question for you to write in if you would. So response number one, why is it so important that Jesus came to bring joy to the world? Number one, the obvious one, is because I could not have it otherwise. I could not have this joy otherwise. So letter A, number one, under number three, whatever you want to number it or letter it, I could not have this joy otherwise. It's true, isn't it? If Jesus came to bring joy... And God in me produces what I can't produce on my own. Then it's got to be the case that I can't have this by myself. Therefore, if Jesus doesn't come, if Jesus doesn't later die, if God doesn't raise him back to life, if I don't accept him as my Lord and Savior, then I'm in a place to where there is no way joy will ever come into my life. Not the kind of joy we're talking about. Not the lasting 
joy. So I can't have it otherwise. It is, in fact, a work of God. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy. May he give to you that which you cannot obtain on your own. May he fill you with joy, contentment, peace, satisfaction, happiness. Number two, letter B, however you're listing it. It is something I can't have otherwise. Number two, letter B, it is also something that I'm searching for. Something I'm searching for. You know, I'm going to make a broad statement that I'm going to then back off on some. So, so know that this is coming. The broad statement is that everyone in the world is searching for joy. Now, I've got to back off of that because making such a broad statement, I, I paint myself to be a fool if I don't qualify that a little bit. Because I understand that there are people around the world that they've been so soured on life through hurt or through difficulty or circumstances or, or just life itself that they just, they just want to die. And, I, and they're searching for death. They're not looking for joy. They've given up on that. And so I understand that there are those that are in that, that category, in that situation, and, and I hate that so much for them. But for the vast majority of people, we are searching for joy. We're looking for it, and we're trying to find it in any way possible. We're trying to find it through illicit sex, drugs, alcohol, power, prestige, possessions, you name it. If there's a possibility of finding some sort of happiness and joy in it, then we're searching for it. And the problem is, every time, just like King Solomon, it comes up as this is not lasting. This does not satisfy. And it's so problematic. And so it's something that the world is searching for. It's something that I have searched for. And even as a child of God, there are those times, like I've told you, when I tend to stray away and begin to pursue something else that I think is going to bring me happiness. And, and so I do this even as a child of God. What a shameful thing to have to admit to you. But it's certainly true. It's something I don't have otherwise. It's something that I've been searching for. And then number three or letter C, it's something that I desperately need. Something that I desperately need. What a horrible, horrible life it is to live without joy. What a horrible, horrible life it is trying to fake joy. Let me tell you, my personal experience, I've done both of those. You know, I was part of this church since before I was born. My mother was carrying me to every service before I was born for, for about nine months, in fact. <laughs> And I knew how to act like I had joy, even in the years when I was at my worst. When I was reeking with alcohol and drugs, I knew how to act like I had joy when I was around Christians. 
I knew how to do all that. But I can tell you at the end of the day, I also knew that it didn't happen in my life. That I didn't really have it. I was looking for it. Thought I could find it in all those ways, but what it did was bring me to a very, very dangerous place. Jesus Christ came in a manger so that we might experience lasting joy, permanent joy that is so amazing it can't truly even be described. You just have to experience it for yourself. And the incredible news is that it's available to you today. So whether you've had it before and you've just ran away from it, and, and today you want to pray as David did, God restore to me the joy of my salvation. Or whether you've never experienced it before. And today you just want to say, God, show me yourself. Let me know this joy. Let me experience it myself. And this joy is available for you today. So what do I do with this information? You know, for those who have experienced joy before, you know what that was to have that peace and that contentment in life. Then for you, I would simply say what you do with this information is today, if you strayed away from God, you come back to Him. How do I do that? It's a matter of confession. God, I have sinned against You. I've strayed away from You. I've wandered away into things I have no business doing, things that bring shame upon the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. God, would you restore the joy of my salvation? For those who do not know Jesus Christ, you've never started into that relationship with Him. Here's what you would do with that information. Here's what I'm begging you to do with that information is this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand in just a few minutes. And when I do, I'm going to invite you through the music that's playing just to move out of your place and come and meet me right here at the front. I'm not going to try to embarrass you. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to call your name in this service. You don't have to worry about that stuff. But what I will do is have someone who's trained in God's Word show you how you can know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior right now. If you would like that information, then I invite you, when I give you the invitation, just to step out and come and meet me. Would you do that? For others, maybe God's leading you to be part of our church family, and you want to come and start the process. Others, maybe God's leading you to be obedient to the matter of baptism, and you want to come and start that process. Whatever God is dealing with you, would you just come and let's do business with God today?